Good morning, everybody. Open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings 5. It's WKU Day. How many of you are stu- present students at Western or alumni or faculty staff or fans or whatever? Yeah, a lot of us in the room. Uh, fantastic. Go Western. Go Big Red. Uh, I graduated Western in 1987. What? 1987. I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Painting and a wife out of that place. So I consider it well worth my tuition money. Uh, yeah, 1987, that's crazy, y'all. This is crazy. Uh, so I got some years on me, so listen to Papa. Let me tell you about the good old days. Back in the day, preachers wore suits. We all did. I did. For the first 10 years of my ministry at Woodburn, I wore a suit because y'all told me I had to. Uh, y'all said Jesus wore a suit. The disciples wore suits. If it's good enough for Jesus, it should be, you know, I had to wear a suit. Every Sunday. I haven't worn one for about 15 years. I consider that an, an amazing thing. Uh, I don't miss it at all. Now I only wear suits to your funeral, so you got to die to put me in a suit in, anymore. But, uh, but, but, but that's okay. If you remember back in the 80s, the 90s, uh, when preachers were wearing suits, um, there were a number of TV celebrity kind of preachers who really became famous for their excessive, um, excessive, uh, way of dressing. They would wear these uh, impossibly expensive Italian suits. They would wear $1,000 Rolex watches, and they were preaching this strange gospel of materialism and wealth and prosperity. And uh, so in a lot of ways, I'm glad all that's gone. I I, I really, really am. When when those suits went away, preachers then began to dress like everybody else. There's in my mind, there's no reason why you have to step in the pulpit to preach the gospel, you know, dressed like a mob boss, uh, you know, it just doesn't seem necessary. So these days, most preachers, most preachers everywhere uh, tend to step in the pulpit with jeans or, or just regular shirts, uh, t-shirts. Uh, you see a lot of athletic shoes. And again, I, I think all of that is, is okay. You'd think that since preachers these days are just wearing, you know, jeans, t-shirts kind of thing that you wouldn't have any more of that excessive, you know, kind of worldly kind of fashion craziness in the pulpit, but, but you'd think wrong. Uh, several years ago on Instagram, an Instagrammer showed up uh, who was anonymous, just called himself Preachers in Sneakers. Anybody seen this Instagram site? Uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. I, I, I tend to check it out every week, <laughs> make sure I'm not on it. I'm not ever going to be on it. Uh, take a look at this. Preachers and sneakers, again, you would think that if preachers aren't wearing the fancy suits and the fancy watches, it would be pretty impossible to, uh, to go overboard. But this is Pastor Jimmy Rollins at I-5 City Church. He is wearing a pair of Nike Union Air Jordan 1s, and these shoes cost $1,250. They're, they're sneakers, y'all. They're, they're just athletic shoes. They cost over $1,000. Now, I'm very conflicted when I look at this sort of thing because on the one hand, a lot of preachers that show up on preachers and sneakers, I, I know them, I like them, I enjoy their preaching, and, and that's the strange part. I, I don't understand how good men become enthralled by the things of the world, but let's keep going. That's Jimmy Rollins. Uh, coming up next is Pastor John Gray. Uh, he's out of Relent- Relentless Church. Now look, this is kind of typical. He's just wearing, it looks to me like ordinary pants and a church sweatshirt. That's his church with just a pair of sneakers. But this is not just a pair of sneakers. These are Nike Jordan 1 retro high-top shoes that cost over $4,000. 
those shoes right there cost over four, $4,005 to be exact. I don't even under, like, where do you, where would you buy those? Like, and obviously he's not married to my wife. I mean, if, if I came home with a pair of those, that's what y'all would bury me in. My wife would take them off my feet and beat me to death with $4,000 Nike shoes. Let's do some Baptist. This is Pastor Ed Gray from Fellowship Church. I'm sorry, Ed Young, Pastor Ed Young. Um, his shoes aren't anything special. Those are just, you know, little suede booties. But, but look, check this out. This is a Hermes Constance belt that costs $955. It's a belt, you all. And in my mind, it's, it, it's a lady's belt for that. I mean, somebody tricked him. It's a lady's belt. My goodness, why? Why? Now, I know y'all looking at me now. I got drawstring pants on, y'all. Uh, that's a drawstring and these are uh, $60 Adidas. Now, $60 is $60. My wife had a cow about these. $60 Adidas. I've had them forever. I've preached a lot of miles in these. I got them off of Amazon. Um, I, I, I actually like fashion. I, I really do. But, but I, I, I don't. And I like a young. God bless him. He preaches the gospel. He's a good man. But why? I mean, you know, why? Uh, let's keep going. Judah Smith, man, I actually really like Judah Smith. He's a, he's a great pastor. He's a great leader. But he's wearing a Gucci shawl collar jacket that costs $3,600. $3,600 for that jacket. He doesn't need that. Again, he's a great preacher. And this jacket doesn't add anything to the worth of, of his message or to the power of Jesus. I, I, I just... I struggle. And as I say, I'm conflicted because often I, I really respect these guys. Uh, let's do one more. This isn't a preacher. This is actually a, a, a musician, a, a, a songwriter. This is an amazing guy named David Crowder. Now, David Crowder is kind of famous for looking homeless. I, I mean, he just kind of looks like a truck driver that just crawled out from under a bridge. I mean, he does. He just really, uh, just really informal look. He's always got a trucker's cap on. He's got a beard that you could hide things in. I mean, just this beard down to here, but he is wearing a pair of Nike Air Jordan 1 Retro Highs. These are $3,450 shoes. Like, it takes a lot of money to look that cheap, which is just crazy. It's just crazy. $3,450 shoes. So, like I say, in the old days, preachers wore suits and went way overboard with the opulence of their clothes. And you would think that if we're just wearing jeans and Tennis shoes, you know, like that there would be impossible, but apparently, you know, greed finds a way. And, and I really struggle. And a lot of us really struggle with this sort of thing. But can I just tell you, it's not new. David Crowder, Judas Smith, John Gray, none of these guys invented any of this. It, it, it goes back further back than the celebrity, you know, prosperity gospel preachers of the 80s and 90s. It goes back at least as far as 2 Kings chapter 5 with a young prophet assistant named Gehazi. 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 20 is where we'll pick up. I'm going to pick up kind of on the tail end of a story that you probably know. But you probably haven't heard what happened next. And I'm going to do the what happened next today with the story of Gehazi. But in this story in 2 Kings chapter 5, there is a man named Naaman who is an Aramean, uh, sort of a pagan military champion. He's a commander, right? He's very famous, but very uh, uh, renowned in his day for his military might. 
Uh, and, and honestly, he, he uh, shows up in Samaria with this incredible uh, mass of wealth because he's got one problem. For all that you can say for him, for all that he's accomplished as a military man, for all of his status in the land where he comes from, Naaman is a leper. He's a leper. He's leprosy. And so he comes to Samaria because he's been told that there is a prophet there with the power to heal him, and surely there is. His name is Elisha. So Naaman pulls up to the church, and Elisha is there, and Naaman has with him all of this wealth, silver, like 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Now, the clothing sounds like no big deal to us, but, but in the ancient world, not just in biblical times, but for centuries and centuries, most adults had a single, uh, a single article of clothing that you, would, that you would wear every day for your entire adult life. Most people never even had a change of clothes. You had one garment, one robe, whatever. So, so for this man to have 10 sets of brand new clothes, that's absolutely amazing. Now, why does he bring all that? Because he's used to buying things, right? He's used to everything having a price, and he assumes that whatever his healing is going to cost, he's going to be ready to pay the bill. So Naaman arrives at the prophet's house with all of this wealth, but it turns out the healing is really pretty simple. Elisha tells Naaman to go to the Jordan River and dip seven times. And that's what Naaman does, and Naaman is completely healed. He comes up out of the water, the scripture says, with his skin as soft and pure as a newborn baby. So Naaman is so excited. He comes back to Elisha's house. He's ready to pay the bill, right? So he has 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, 10 sets of clothing, and Elisha says, I'm not interested in any of that. I'm not interested in any of that. I don't want any gifts from you. Uh, nice to know you. So Elisha just says farewell, takes no gifts. Naaman gets back in his limousine with 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, 10 sets of clothing, and he drives away. That's the story you know. However, the story that comes next, there was an associate minister with Elisha. His name is Gehazi. And Gehazi saw that whole thing. He saw all of it. He saw Naaman driving up with his leprosy. He saw Naaman with 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. And he knows that Naaman intends to give a very generous gift to the ministry. And so Gehazi is ready for it. He's up for it. The problem is Gehazi watches Elisha turn it all down. Naaman gets back in the car, drives off with all of his wealth. And Gehazi can't stand the thought of that. So Gehazi tells himself, if Elijah doesn't want any of that wealth, I do. And so he goes after it. This is where the story picks up. 2 Kings chapter 5, we're going to start with verse 20. I love this story. Did y'all know this story? Y'all know how it ends? If you don't know how this story ends, you better hang on to your wig, lady, because this, this is going to be awesome. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 20. Watch out what you wish for, you all. Watch out what you wish for. So verse 20. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master should not have let this Aramean guy get away without accepting any of his gifts. As surely as the Lord lives, I will chase after him and get something from him. So Gehazi set off after Naaman. 
When Naaman saw Gehazi running after him, he climbed down from his chariot and went to meet him. Is everything all right, Naaman asked? Yes, Gehazi said, but, but, but my master has sent me to tell you that two young prophets from the hill country of Ephraim have, have just arrived. He would like 75 pounds of silver and two sets of clothing to give them. And by all means, take twice as much silver, Naaman insisted. He gave him two sets of clothing, tied up the money in two bags, and sent two of his servants to carry the gifts for Gehazi. But when they arrived at the citadel, Gehazi took the gifts from the servants and sent them in back. Then he went and hid the gifts inside the house. When he went into his master, Elisha asked him, where have you been, Gehazi? I haven't been anywhere, he replied. Elisha asked him, don't you realize that I was there in spirit when Naaman stepped down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to receive money and clothing, olive groves, vineyards, sheep, cattle, male and female servants? Because you have done this, you and your descendants will suffer from Naaman's leprosy forever. When Gehazi left the room, he was covered with leprosy. His skin was white as snow. He wanted what Naaman had, right? He got what Naaman had. Yeah. The story actually, when I read it years ago for the first time, it really changed the way I think about greed or, or, or maybe envy. Um, that tendency that I have, and, and I imagine all of you have as well, where you just look at somebody and you, you find yourself wanting what they have. This story kind of taught me the danger of that because you don't always know all that people have. You, know? you don't know what you're wishing for. Be careful what you wish for. Okay, but back up a little bit. Naaman arrives to be healed, and Elisha, by the power of God, has, has the ability to heal him. Uh, Naaman brings with him an incredible amount of wealth. It's incredible to us. It's not that incredible to Naaman. He was wealthy. He brought it from his king. I mean, there's all kinds of wealth in, in his country of Aram. So in, in that sense, Naaman is eager and willing and, and completely free to give this gift to the ministry, so to speak. Also, if you've been reading First and Second Kings with me, you know that times are hard. We have lived through so far a drought, a famine, I mean, last week we were dealing with a, a widow who was starving to death. I mean, people are literally starving to death. And so, honestly, if I was Elisha, you know, trying to run this school of prophets, trying to feed my students, trying to, you know, not starve to death myself, if, if this guy Naaman arrives from another country just because he's heard of, of us, he's heard of me, and, and somehow he is willing, you know, if, if you heal me, I've got this incredible gift to give to, you know, your ministry. I mean, that's a God thing. I mean, in my mind, I'll be thinking, thank you, Jesus. I mean, thank you. I mean, that's amazing how God takes care of his people. I mean, we would, we would turn that into a testimony. I will be preaching that for years to come and wearing one of those fancy new suits. I mean, you know, that's amazing. And there wouldn't be anything wrong with Elisha taking it. There's nothing wrong with taking it. Naaman wants to give it. He's, he's happy to give it. There's not anything in the world that would be wrong if, if Elisha just very, you know, graciously received it. I mean, everybody's happy, right? Everybody wins. 
Except Elisha wants nothing to do with any of it. Why does Elisha turn it down? Why? Because Gehazi is the opposite. I mean, Elisha looks at all that. He, he doesn't want it. He refuses it. But Gehazi looks at it, and I'm telling you, he's got to have it. What's, what's the difference, the heart difference between Gehazi and Elisha? If you back up in the story, I think it's about verse 16. Elisha gives his answer. He says, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I don't want any gifts from you. Elisha has a very strong sense of who he is, but more importantly, who he belongs to and who he serves. He, he serves the Lord. And Elisha is the kind of man who serves the Lord with such commitment, such single-minded dedication that honestly, there is nothing in the world that Elisha needs because God takes care of it. Now, yeah, it's a famine, and he doesn't have everything that Naaman has, but Elisha has what God has provided for him, and he is satisfied with that. That ability simply to be satisfied with what the Lord has provided for you, that ability just to savor and actually enjoy what God has given you, that's an incredible gift. It's just the simple gift of contentment, and it is a sign of health spiritual health and Elisha displays that right here he belongs to the Lord the Lord provides for him and honestly he looks at all that stuff that Naaman has and he doesn't want it he doesn't need it it wouldn't add anything to his life it wouldn't add anything to his ministry he is living just fine without it and will continue to do so that's amazing and let's just all recognize that lots of us don't exactly have a lot of that quality in our hearts. Elisha did. He was satisfied in the Lord. What's more, he really wants to make sure that Naaman understands some things. Naaman's a pagan. Naaman doesn't really know the Lord or understand where Elisha's power comes from. And Elisha wants to make sure that there is no room for misunderstanding here. Naaman brought all of this crazy loot along because he's accustomed to buying everything that he wants. Everything's for sale. Everything has a price tag. And he just assumes if he gets healing that there's going to be a bill. He just assumes there's going to be something to pay for that. Elisha is a man of God whose power comes from God. But Naaman doesn't know that. But Elisha's going to make sure he learns that. So Elisha doesn't receive any payment because he wants Naaman to know that it's not Elisha whom he owes a debt to. You understand? It's the Lord. Elisha wants to make sure that Naaman understands the source of this power, the source of his healing. And if you owe something to somebody, it's not anybody down here. It's the Lord. And on top of that, God's gifts are free. All of God's gifts are free. So Elisha, on top of just being a man who doesn't need all of that stuff, he's satisfied in the Lord. He wants to make sure that Naaman understands that God's gifts are free. I think the other part of that is the more personal part of that for Elisha. It's just that Elisha himself has obviously trained himself, disciplined himself to say no. That simple ability to say no, to see something out there that, that looks good, that, that, that might feel good, to see something out there that belongs to the world. But, but Elisha knows that you cannot make a room in your heart 
for that kind of greed. You, you can't begin to go down that path. And so for Elisha, he's just simply trained himself to say no. He recognizes the danger of that kind of greed, that kind of lack of contentment. Elisha is a powerful, healthy man of God who knows how to say no to these kinds of temptations. It goes back, of course, to Elisha, but for us, it's also just the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. This is what Jesus says right before he tells the story of the rich fool, the parable of the rich fool. He says, beware. Now, the word beware is always a word we use when there's danger, right? So Jesus is trying to warn you of actual danger. Beware. Guard yourself against every kind of, say the word, greed. Apparently, there are multiple kinds of greed, and you've got to learn how to recognize and guard yourself against every kind, because life is not measured by how much you own. This is Jesus talking about life. Jesus, the one who said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. Jesus wants you to have a full, overflowing, abundant life, but none of that in any way reflects upon the stuff that you have, the things that you have. It's not about having an overflowing bank account. It's not about having a credit card that never runs out. It's not about getting everything you want from Amazon. You understand? Life is not measured by the abundance of what you have. This is Jesus talking. Beware. Guard yourself against every kind of greed. Because it is greed that uh, leads Gehazi to the curse that he meets at the end of the story. Let's talk about some lessons about greed from, uh, from Gehazi. I start with this simple principle. Number one, you got to learn not to want everything you see. Don't want everything you see. In, in, in the story, Naaman drives up, you know, with all of this stuff. And I'm telling you, there's a pretty good chance that Gehazi has never seen that kind of wealth in his life. Elisha as well. It's very likely they've never seen that much gold, that much silver. It's likely they've never seen a wardrobe full of suits in their whole life. Elisha can look at it. He can appreciate it. He can say, my, you know, that's going to do somebody some good, but it's not going to do me any good. No, no, thank you. But Gehazi is different. Man, when he sees it, he cannot get it out of his head. He can't get it out of his heart. As soon as he sees it, he wants it. And he wants it bad. And that's the story. I mean, that's what leads him down that path. It's just that seeing it. And the minute he sees it, he cannot bear to live without it. Now, I just want to remind you that our entire culture is built on this principle. This principle here. The principle that you're going to want whatever you see. And for the most part, let's just all acknowledge it works. This week, Facebook started bugging me. Ask me over and over and over, do I want to continue receiving these personalized ads? Y'all know what a personalized ad is? A personalized ad means if I say to my wife, honey, man, don't white castles sound good? Wouldn't you love to have a white castle? And then you look back at Facebook and what's the first thing you see? An ad for white castle. And you think, are they listening to me? They must be. I mean, what, I mean, Facebook must be getting in bed with me because if I dream about something, you know, I'm going to see an ad for it the next day. They're very tuned into what you want. 
If you go to Amazon and look for something weird like shoelaces, you know, I mean, you can go to Facebook and you're going to see ads for shoelaces. Sometimes you buy the shoelaces and you keep getting ads for shoelaces. I'm thinking, if you know so much about me, why don't you know I bought them? It's this, this obsession that our culture has with making sure that you continue to buy things. And some of us think that this is just, you know, you know, our duty as an American to keep the economy afloat. I'm telling you, your allegiance as an American to the economy has really nothing in comparison to your allegiance to Christ and your own spiritual life. And this tendency that you have to want everything you see, that is not a sign of spiritual health. Jesus says, beware, guard yourself against every kind of greed. And surely it's a particular kind of greed when every time you see an ad for something, you have this desire to buy it. I mean, some of us through the pandemic have absolutely gone crazy with online shopping. Some of you, I mean, your neighbors think that you work for Amazon because, you know, the UPS truck is out in front of your, your house every day of the week. I mean, you know... It's just delivery after delivery after delivery. Do you ever stop to wonder what that says about your heart? That you just want everything you see. Our culture feeds you this. A couple of years ago, you were walking around all cool with your, you know, your boot cut jeans, cowboy. And then everybody else went to skinny jeans. Although all the people weren't skinny, the jeans were all skinny. And so then all of a sudden you look like a fool out there with your bag of jeans. So, so you switched over to skinny jeans. And about the time you get with it, y'all know what's happening, right? Skinny jeans are out. Now they're selling this jeans big enough for three people. Like all of a sudden you're going to look like a fool in your skinny jeans. And this is how it works so that the jean people can, can continue to sell you jeans or whatever else it is that they're selling, they continue to feed your want and to stir you into wanting. And sometimes you didn't even know you wanted it until you saw it. Gehazi sees that wealth of Naaman. And and, and I mean, mean, as the story goes, I mean, he sets off, he's, he's running down the road chasing after him. You have to learn not to want everything you see. It's countercultural. Almost nobody you know lives this way. And now, you know, we have all these millennials that, you know, their whole aim in life is to be an influencer, which means they want to just, they want their job to be, you know, to show up on social media, like showcasing, you know, merchandise, you know, so that other people will want it and maybe they can get sponsored and sell it. I mean, it's just insane. That we base our whole lives off of greed and our greed and other people's greed. It's not a healthy sign. Second, again, a simple principle, and I'm not the first person to say this, but you got to love people and use things. You got to love people and use things because if you get those mixed up, for example, if you fall in love with things, if you love things, you'll inevitably begin to use people. You know what I mean? Gehazi says, you know, my, my, my master should not have let this Aramean get away without, without accepting one of his gifts. As surely as the Lord lives, I will chase after him and I'm going to get something from him. I'm going to get something from him. You see that? As surely as the Lord lives. In other words, I'm, I'm not being profane. What he says is, by God, I will chase after him and I will get something from him. I will get something from him. 
He, he's in love with the things, right? Like, like all the things. I'm going to get something from him. Whenever somebody is determined to get something from you, I'm telling you, at that point, they're, they're, they're loving things and they're about to use you. They're going to use you to get the thing that they want. I mean, this is kind of how the whole world goes around. When you love things, you're going to use people. Uh, Gehazi goes right up to, to, to Naaman and tells him a lie. Oh, you know, my master, you know, we forgot. We're doing this revival, you know, and this, we've got two evangelists. I've got the preacher and the music minister coming in for revival, and we forgot about the love offering for them. So could you spare, like, like maybe 75 pounds of silver and two suits of clothing for these guys? Elisha said he needs it, you know. Gehazi, who, you know, at some point in his life was some kind of prophet himself. For some reason, he responded to a call of God on his life, and he, he enrolls in the school under Elisha. He's been right there, Elisha's right-hand man. But now, this used-to-be prophet can lie to your face because he wants something from you. He wants something from Naaman. And, and then turns right around and lies to Elisha. Where have you been? I ain't been nowhere. Why you ask? I, I, I ain't been nowhere. I'm right here. You love things, you will lie to people, you will manipulate people. Have you not seen the way the world works? And you think somehow you let these things in your heart and you don't become a part of that? You love people, you use things. I guess the third principle is the one I talked about earlier. You got to be careful whom you envy and what you wish for. It's the thing about envy, and as I say, I, I've tried to learn this in my life from this story because I just find this kind of horrifying. Gehazi really thought he wanted what Naaman had. He just didn't think all that through. Like when he wanted what Naaman had, his eyes were on the silver and the gold and the suits of clothing. He forgot about the leprosy, you know? And that's the way you are. You look at people and you sort of envy their lives. You know, you see people on Facebook and you see their vacation from wherever they went, you know, Aruba, Jamaica, you know, 30A, and you see their pictures, you know, on vacation, a man, she's out there in a bathing suit, you know, and he's out there, you know, like he's out there and the sun setting, it's beautiful. And you just say, man, man, I wish I had her life. I, I wish I had her body. I, I wish I had her vacation. You just start longing and wishing. I'm just saying, you better be careful what you wish for. See, all you see is the picture. All you know at this point is that they appears to have had a vacation in wherever. What you don't know is that like after that picture, she confronted her husband for the affair that he was having and, and they came home early and their whole life's blowing up. So you don't know about that. You want her hair, you know, or her clothes or her lifestyle. You really don't understand that you're also going to get her miserable marriage. Her unhappiness. See, this is how all of this works. So guys, you look at Tom Brady out there with his supermodel wife and the guy who never can lose. You, you look at these athletes, you know, with these, you know, muscles and, you know, rock hard abs. And you think, man, I'd give anything to have, you know, six pack abs. I wish I had his stomach. I wish I had his abs. See, dummy, what you don't know is like he may have six pack abs, but he's also got a spastic colon. And like every time he eats Taco Bell, he blows up like a balloon and then has, you know, explosive diarrhea. You don't know about that. You're just thinking, oh, man, I just wish I had, I wish I had his body. No, you don't. You see Scarlett Johansson or, 
whoever's out there now, little Hollywood star, you think, oh my goodness, I wish I could be her. I wish I could have her fame. I wish I could have her beauty. See, what you don't know is she has the IQ of a paper plate. And you're, you're thinking that you're going to envy the people of the world. And oh my goodness, if, if I could just be like a rock star on the red carpet, but I'm just saying, be really careful what you wish for. You have no idea what you're asking for. Elisha says, Gehazi, where have you been? I ain't been nowhere, nowhere, right here. Elisha says, you moron, don't you know I was with you in spirit when you, you know, ran down I-65 chasing after Naaman? He stopped the car, got out, and gave you 75 pounds of silver and two suits of clothing? You, you, think, you think I'm a fool? You think I wasn't there? You think I didn't see that? The first off, the fact that he saw that is just, you know, whoa, whoa, that's power. But then he says, you think this is the time? Is this the time for all that? Is, 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 it, is this the time for us to be wanting money and gold and silver and clothes and vineyards and cars? Is this really time for you to be an influencer? I think it's really interesting. At the end of the story, it's just that question, is this the time? I think it's important for you to know who you are, but, but also what time it is. It's not that there's anything morally wrong with the things that Elisha lists. Money, clothing, groves, vineyards, sheep, cattle. You, you know, it's, it's just it's the things of the world. It's, it's what everybody has. But Elisha looks at Gehazi and says, you, you really think that that this is the time for us to be focusing on these things? Now, it's that phrase in the beginning of the story when it says, Gehazi says, surely the Lord lives. I'm going to chase after him. I'm going to chase after Naaman. I'm going to get something from him. It's that chase that I think is really interesting, and that's where his story goes off the rails. It's, it's what he decides to chase. I bring it up because I just wonder what it is you're chasing in your life. What is it you're chasing? I, I know some of you don't move real fast. I saw you walk in out of your car. It took you 10 minutes to get to the door. You ain't chasing like fast, but, but in your life, you are in pursuit of something. When you decided what you would major in, for example, in college, you, you made that decision based on something it is in life that you're chasing. When you choose a romantic partner, you make these choices based on whatever it is, something deep in your heart that, that you're chasing. The, the job that, that you continue to occupy, the way you raise your kids, the house, the way you spend your money. I'm just asking you, what is it that you're chasing? I know how the world is. We all live in the same world, and we know about the things of the world. And it's not necessarily that the things of the world in themselves are always wrong. They're not always wrong. The question just becomes, is, is this really, is this the time for us to become enthralled with the things of the world? Obviously, the answer for Elisha and for Gehazi is No. No, that's not who we are. Elisha says, as surely as the Lord lives, the one whom I serve... You see, Elisha understands that the life that he has is short. 
He only has so many days to live at all. And in those days, there's a purpose that comes straight from God. And he's got to fulfill that purpose. I mean, that's what his life is for. That's what his time is for. I just wonder what it is you're chasing. Because it's really, really simple. If you are chasing the wrong things, and if you're like most people, you are definitely chasing the wrong things. If you chase the wrong things, you will end up living for the wrong things. And if you live for the wrong things, at the end of all of this, do you understand, you will have wasted your life. You could be wasting your life. I'm asking you again, what are you chasing? She says, where you been, Gaze? I said, I haven't been nowhere. She says, you don't think I saw you? You don't think I know? Gaze, is, is this the time for that? Is this the time to be consumed with money, clothes, houses, influence? So if those are the things that Gehazi wanted, if, if, if he was going to chase after what Naaman had, then understand at the end of the story, Gehazi gets everything that Naaman had, right? Leprosy from head to toe. This reminds him, be careful what you wish for, but be really careful whom you envy. Be real careful what you chase after. Because you chase the wrong things, you live for the wrong things, you live for the wrong things. You can waste your life. Don't waste your life. Pray with me. Lord God, we, we live in a material world. We are surrounded with things. And some of these things we actually need. That they're necessary for life itself, Lord. And we thank you for the way that you have always provided for us everything necessary for us to live the life that you have for us and for us to accomplish your purpose for us, Lord. You have always provided everything we need to do what you want us to do. But Lord, there is so much, so much, so many other things that we still want. So many things, Lord, that the world offers. They may not necessarily be wrong in themselves, but, Lord, we want them. And sometimes, Lord, our desire, our, our lust, our greed, our envy, Lord, it takes our eyes off of you. It causes us to chase after things that have no actual value, things that have no eternal worth, Lord. It causes us to chase after everything but you. God, our lives are short and we don't have anything like enough time to get bogged down in the mess of this world, in the things of this world. As pleasurable, as pretty as they are, Lord, we don't have anything like that kind of time. So, Lord, will you call us out from the world? Will you call us to be separate from the world? Will you change the desires in our heart so that we desire the things that come from you and not the things that come from the world? 
God, will you cause us to b- begin to have a burden, Lord, for our lives and for the world? And will you cause us, Lord, to make different choices so that we don't get to the end of this thing and realize we wasted the only life you've given us? Help us to live, Lord, knowing that our life has nothing to do with all the things. Help us to live, Lord, our lives in such a way where every single day with all of our mind, heart, and strength, we're chasing after you. The world's never going to applaud or reward this kind of lifestyle, but Lord, it's not the world that we live for, it's you that we live for, the Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your name, but for our sake.